Hello everyone, I'm Danielle. And I'm Caitlin. Listen as we dive into the history and policies affecting a deeply red state like Oklahoma. Come and join us in in the the red. Today on our first ever episode of the In the Red podcast, we have chosen a very neutral topic, not controversial at all, abortion. The lovely Caitlin and I will be talking about what the history of abortion and reproductive rights has looked like in this country from the colonial era up until the passing of Roe v. Wade in 1973. The land on which we are recording this is the present-day home of the Muscogee Creek Nation. Um, We give honor and respect to the tribes that occupied this land before them as well. Um, And we recognize this foundation and assume the responsibility to educate ourselves and others on indigenous history and the importance of the land and water that we currently occupy. All right. Well, to start us off, we're going to speak a little bit about the history of abortion. And I kind of look at this as abortion's been around since people have been reproducing. It is nothing new. It is not some new modern thing that liberal women have decided to go into. It has always been here. Um, In our readings, I looked at a little bit, and we're not going to go into a really deep discussion on this. I mean, there's ancient Greek texts, there's uh, Sanskrit texts, there's uh, Far East Asian uh, tablets that have written down recipes and how you could perform abortions, different techniques to do it. It's this is nothing new. Basically, though, like the 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 we're not going to go super deep into the uh, history before colonial America, but that just and even as we get into colonial America. Um, the views on it, the approach to it by and large, and imagine a world before we um, understand cells or anything like that. The the first thing you notice as a woman who has a body that has a, a sign that you're pregnant is that you quit menstruating. And so that can be caused by a lot of things. We know that now. They knew that back then. And so really people didn't understand the idea of like having like you were pregnant you had something alive inside of you until something called quickening which is when you start to feel the baby move around or the fetus sorry that's important quickening is when you begin to feel the fetus moving around so um which is that's got to be a weird feeling I mean obviously neither neither I nor you have experienced that before and so I wonder if it's almost like a like a like a slug (laughs) moving about inside yes i don't know or does it feel like "Mm, i really gotta go to the bathroom or something i don't i don't know what that would actually feel like i think if you had missed a couple periods and were kind of starting to expect that you might be pregnant it and you wanted to be pregnant i imagine it would feel pretty cool oh i'm sure wow there's a life inside of me Mm -hmm. um but alternatively it could also be Really terrifying yes. because oh i am maybe gonna get stoned to death depending on where i am <laughs> in the world and if i'm married yeah or you know or if it's a culturally appropriate for me to ha- be having a baby right now yeah or it could be oh my husband has been on <laughs> i'm an ancient roman woman and my husband has been away on like, <laughs> crusading <laughs> with alexander the great this is mysterious oh uh, no <laughs> Basically, like, suffice it to say that um, women have been, have understood things that tended to induce abortion, which they often referred to in at least the early modern period um, in the Western world as return of the menses. (laughs) Um, They had ways of doing that that were passed down from generation to generation. Indigenous communities had, had, had ways passed down from generation to generation. This was not something that was frowned upon was not it was really understood to be 
healthy. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll get into it later on as we go through the history. And I just think it's so interesting how it's more or less women's, like it was a women's, how, women's work isn't the right word, but it was just, it was a women's institution. Like this, men knew nothing about any of this stuff, which kind of plays into how we'll go about laws and everything. But I just think it, it was like, it's in the home. It's with, it was just, there's such a strong bond on this type of thing, which I just found so beautiful. Yeah. Well, and, and to speak to kind of that, it being a woman's thing, like, Men were not allowed, and I know you've seen movies of this, like, men were not in the room when right. women were giving birth. Like, that was not their domain. They were not... Mm-hmm. They're not welcome. Not that it was, like, an anger thing. It was just, like, you don't know anything about this. This, mm-hmm. is, this, is, this is our job. This is why we're... This is viewed as why we are here, so mm-hmm. please stay away. Well, and you see vestiges of that kind of belief that it is almost... Men will, when you, when they talk about these kind of things, even nowadays, like it's almost unclean, like, oh, I don't want to hear about your period. That grosses me out. I know. My dad is like that. My dad too. Yeah. It's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm saying this. Like it's this idea of these mysterious things that happen within a woman's body. Women know all about it. Yeah. They talk about it. Thank goodness they talk about it because yeah. it grosses me out. Um. And you thought like that that belief is really based in this historical idea of of these things kind of being kept within yeah. women's, women's circles, yeah. which included mm-hmm. up until pretty recently the birthing process, yes. getting pregnant, mm-hmm. being pregnant, and giving birth. Like all of that was very much constrained to women. To women, and and, yeah. and I like to make a modern argument that I think men should be brought more into it, not to be in control of it. I still do not think that men should be in control of it, which we will obviously get into because that's the theme of, you know, part of the the issue that we're talking about. But just to have better understanding, and I think I think having the understanding gains you gain more empathy for what's going on. And you know, I, have you ever seen those like YouTube or TikTok videos of like women will ask men, well. Like, you know, well, how, how does a woman pee if she has, like, a tampon in? They have no idea. Yeah. Like, they're like, well, well, then she doesn't. Or, like, you know, like, they have no understanding of female anatomy, which can go into whole other sorts of issues. But it's just, it's just very fascinating. Well, you know me. I don't watch TikTok. Yes, I know. I don't watch the TikTok or yes. the YouTube. <laughs> the, the YouTube. Of the two of us, uh, Danielle's the more uh, pop culture related than Caitlin is. But I have had some just colloquial experiences of men not understanding how female urination works like what <laughs> hole it comes out of you know i mean yeah well i saw one where the guy was like well you f- well when you go you fill up the tampon and then it trips down the string oh my god <laughs> but you know like you can't really blame them i mean i know some of the no. stuff i've experienced just well this is getting off topic what, just what, how penises yeah, but, work like mm-hmm. wow ball sacks do that <laughs> like when you don't have one it's kind of like oh wow this is a really and part of that's just our education system really profoundly failing us like agreed yeah dude yeah, yeah. We, we're gonna have to do it yeah oh yeah that's gonna be a whole episode but anyway it's gonna be a hot topic in yeah. the legislative session coming up too, oh yeah so. oh yes it will all right anyway so um Colonial America. Yes. So basically, by and large, um, it's not dealt with. We're under common law that we brought over from Europe. And when I say we, Danielle and I are um, white women of European descent. Mm -hmm. That's what we're speaking mostly to. We do our best to kind of cover um, other things when when we can. But right now on this issue, we're talking about the legal stuff that's happened around this. And most of that, unfortunately, is coming from colonial yeah white yeah law in america so they bring english common law with them 
and um, in colonial America, basically, you don't have any abortion laws on the books at all. It's really just maybe having a problem with it after quickening. Also, they didn't have a whole lot of ways to effectively, like, it be, it's a certain point where it gets a lot harder. Yes. To have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, have you ever seen, this is, uh, I slipped the this up. Have, did you ever watch uh, on Hulu, um, Catherine the Great? Mm-mm. You need to watch it. I think you like it. It's a period thing. It's about Catherine the Great, but it's kind of, it's with um, Elle Fanning. And okay. like, one of the ways they, they're trying to see if she's pregnant, they have her pee on a barrel of wheat. And if the wheat blo- sprouts or blossoms and you're pregnant, and apparently that is like an actual way they did it in like, did in, it, it work was in or was it like, apparently it was, I, I mean, I was, I don't think it was probably a hundred percent accurate, but I guess it. Like a, like an early hormone test. Like a, I think that's what it is. Fascinating. About, I know. It's that would be worth a Google. I know, right? Anyway. Um, okay. So official abortion law did not appear in the books in the U.S. until 1821. Um, and abortion before quickening. So that's that, uh. You can feel it in your belly. Sluggy feeling. Um, <laughs> did not become legal until the 1860s. So that's, you know, Civil War time. Yeah. So up until then, this is not even a conversation that we're having a whole so lot that's like, in what, the U.S. 200, 300 years? It's a long time. And we did not have any kind of legislation uh, having anything to do with abortion, really, until the 1860s. There's this, this wishy-washy common law type thing that mm-hmm. you are not supposed to have an abortion after quickening but like people aren't enforcing that really and until there's we start to have see these laws pop up in the 1860s right um so keep that in mind all right by the end of the 19th century abortion is a statutory crime everywhere in the united states (laughs) so something is happening between 1820s and 1900 that really really changes the way that we think about abortion the victorian era yeah which was like the most regressive time in uh western civilization yeah just everybody became a huge prude yeah i don't i don't and i I think that's obviously not what a topic that we would explore but it would be fascinating to read into like how that happened so like like the victorian era how it played in like Like, yeah how did it religious fervor kicked up and all of this like any like um like more liberal things or progressive things started like really scaling back and like out and then alcohol was starting to be scaled back as well and that led into prohibition and it's a very interesting time you have i think and so full disclosure my background is in like history of science and medicine so i'm gonna ground everything in that and that's gonna seem to me like obviously this is why this happened but you have between really 1860 to 1900 ton of stuff happening in the biological sciences no. so it's a little bit like around this time that evolution is becoming That's a thing nice. like charles darwin is doing all of his stuff you also have folks really starting to dig into the germ theory of disease and that is the idea that there are these tiny things that you can only see under a microscope that are actually causing like cholera and dysentery and tuberculosis and all of these diseases that up until this point like you get it i mean mm-hmm. We're going to pray and put some leeches on you and hope that things are going to be okay. So, like, (laughs) you start to really – this idea of there being things going on inside the body that are invisible. Mm -hmm. And you can't control. Well, they were trying to control. Oh, right. Which is when we're going to get to – Obviously. Well, and I wonder if that's what kicked up the more religious fervor and stuff is just like, well, no, no, it's God. You yeah. have yeah, you have a yeah. lot of back and forth there, a lot of yeah. anxiety around what does this mean? What is what is the ultimate way of knowing? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we how do we make decisions about things like when life begins, mm-hmm. 
when science is starting to really take a role in that conversation. Mm -hmm. So, so that's happening simultaneously. (laughs) Obstetrics and gynecology Mm. are having some stuff happen. So, um, you start having the rise of kind of, I hate to say like professional medicine because that had always been a thing. Yeah. But it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Medical schools are popping up all over the United States. um, And they're also starting to be backed by this burgeoning scientific movement where you have to believe us. We're going to take up more and more space Mm -hmm. in the discourse around these kind of conversations because we can now prove with our scientific papers and our microscopes, Mm -hmm. we know what we're talking about and you don't. Right. And it's it's taking abortion out of a, a women's only sphere and putting it into a sphere that has a lot more men in it. Yes. So mm-hmm. they're starting to, men are starting to become, they're specializing mm-hmm. in obstetrics and gynecology. They right. are starting to play an increased role in the birthing process. Women are starting to give birth in hospitals, mm-hmm. which that's a whole other really fascinating topic. Tons of women start dying from preeclampsia becomes a huge problem because they're give, they're delivering a baby wiping their hands off on their apron and going into the next room and delivering another baby Ugh. and women are getting infected and dying and they're under, they're confused as to why and when a, when a nurse tries to tell them hey i read this paper that there are tiny bugs floating around in blood that are causing these problems they're like oh that's that's bull- can't be possible. Shit. What are you you're, talking about? Yeah. That's witchcraft you're a yeah. woman you don't know anyway so women are starting or like women are starting to get in midwifery all of these other uh, types of medical providers are going away. They're starting to like, you have the doctors that are like the, the people who mm-hmm. have gone and gotten their MDs starting to say, mm, we're going to do some boundary work here. Um, actually, you're harming people. Yes. By uh, continuing to pedal. Mm-hmm. You've not had the right training. You don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like even now, I like. Especially, I think it's different in like the UK now. I think mid midwives, it's absolutely like, I I have friends that live there that have their they've gone the midwife route, and it's a whole different experience, and it's you know very much considered a you know a good call to do, and like and like it's not like some weird you know hippie space space cadet type thing that I think it is here. It's I think it's still it's pre- not that way here. Yeah, it's like, very taboo in America, and actually. Okay, we're going to have to do a little bit of an episode on this because there is a movement in Oklahoma right now for midwives and doulas to have really? expanded. And actually, doula care is mm-hmm. going to be, um, you're going to be able to, Medicaid's going to cover it starting really? January of next year. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of movement now. Even mm-hmm. now, we are still negotiating who should be in the... Who should be in the decision-making? Who should have to be involved when someone's giving birth? Does, should it have to be in a hospital? What are the lines? Like, if you have these certain risk factors, does that mean you have to be in a hospital? Right. Or if I want a tub birth, goddammit, I should be allowed to have a tub birth, birth yeah. whether or not they can provide that in a hospital yeah. Well, or not. I, yeah, and I, I absolutely agree. Like, and I think, like, you know, 18-year-old Danielle would be like, well, it's a friggin' doctor. I'm going to get shot up with pain meds and, you know, all this stuff. But, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever have children and – and any of that, but I, I do think would like to explore those options. And I, and something else that I think is interesting. And I, you and I just talked about this before is like when you're giving birth, I guess the, the natural instinct is for you to like get on your hands and knees Mm -hmm. to push and, and I, and supposedly or squat. And I guess those are more natural positions to do it. And it's, and it's easier for the woman. The reason we give birth on our backs in a hospital is because it's easier for the doctor. Yeah. 
that is not how you're supposed to give birth. No, it doesn't no. even seem like, yeah, and get your legs in, up in stirrups so they can easier, easily Easy get access. inside it makes and pull the baby them. out, which mm-hmm. is never supposed to happen. Anyway, so you like you have you have men having a much larger role mm-hmm. in this in this process there. And, and two, they don't understand abortion. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how it's always been something that's been kind of I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was a really taboo. It just wasn't. It was just kind of there. They didn't put words to it so yeah. much. Like it was like even in the early modern period, you would have women mm-hmm. pass down cookbooks. And in these cookbooks, in addition to all the recipes, like your grandma's recipes, there would be a recipe in there for return of the menses. And that was your family recipe for an abortion in the first trimester. Hmm. Like, I mean, that that was the reality. It was that normal and it was that – it had these words women use to talk about it. Men come into this space. They don't understand any of this. Right. And all the people that are traditionally providing abortion care Mm – in this kind of way are your midwives and your doulas and these other practitioners that they are trying to actively exclude from medical practice. So it makes sense that they would exclude these things that they are now trying to define as unsafe, which is unfortunately going to include abortion. Abortion. So that's, I think the main reason we really start to see attitudes change about it. Mm -hmm. We start to, we start to understand what's going on early on. And then we also start to have different people making decisions about what is safe, what is okay. And there's also like, there's arguments out there as well that, um, and I think this is true. You have a lot of immigration mm-hmm. into the United States during this time. There's a lot of anxiety about white people not being the majority or not being in power. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think uh, they're not the majority. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you look at yeah, not the reality anymore. situation. Yeah. But you're worried about that. And so, and there's all these, you know, middle-class white women and they're having abortions and we have to stop that because we need those kind of children populating our country. Mm -hmm. That's also happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Which, and obviously race in this country is, and especially in the state, in this state of Oklahoma, we will be talking about in a future episode because we could get lost in that topic for a long time. So we end up in this space where abortion is by and large pretty much completely illegal mm-hmm. um, up until the 1960s. That's a long time. It's a long time. And, 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 and I remember, and that's where, like, if you look at, watch all those movies of, you know, women um, in, like, the 50s with the, um, what were they called? The Janes, I think. Or was it the Janes where there was, like, different, like, you'd find phone numbers and it was this network of underground women that would get, that would. In Chicago? In Chicago yeah. and different places. Yeah, Chicago was the Janes, right? Yeah, Chicago mm-hmm. was the Janes, yeah. Where they would, uh, you call this number and they would come help you uh, access an abortion. But it wasn't like they were in the back room with a coat hanger. It was a doctor or midwife who would secretly do it in like a sterile room for you and everything. Yeah. Actually yeah. like the Janes, I, there's a documentary on HBO right, like right now. that's really, yes. really good mm-hmm. on, on that movement. And it was a lot of like, you find it, it watching the documentary. There were, there were these women that were saying, yeah, like I was involved in, in politics. I was involved in feminist stuff. And, um, you know, abortion wasn't really talked about until it was, mm-hmm. So 1960s come about, you've got um, the feminist movement. They're starting to talk about abortion more openly. So they're starting to organize around it. Mm-hmm. The Janes is a great the example. Janes, yeah. Please watch that documentary. Yes, please watch. And, I, and I'll exclude a little tangent of, for, of my own here. Um, 
somebody that I work with um, who has she's a bit we, we def- definitely different views on, on other things. But she texted me um, over a weekend once and said, Danielle, I just watched the Jane. She's like this this change, like my whole opinion is changed on this. It isn't just about that. It's about our rights and like how this, you know, for women in this country and all that stuff. So it isn't abortion is never just about abortion. It's it's about it's about women's uh, rights to exist as fully autonomous humans in this country. Yeah, in other countries too, but I mean, but of course we're, we're talking about this country, this state, Oklahoma. It's it's not just about the actual act of abortion itself. When you outlaw when you outlaw abortion, you are not just affecting how many children a woman will have. No, you are really you are affecting a woman's ability to make pretty intimate decisions about her own body and I I think it's really easy for people to think oh it's you're you're using it as birth control and actually that would be a really expensive inefficient Mm -hmm. method of birth control people are not using it for that a lot of I mean I don't know I I don't even know what that statement means in reality like not using it for birth control like using abortion as a birth control method like I don't even that's a really weird thing to say I've heard that a few times and I know people in your life have said that before too and I just it's not a thing I've never in my life had heard a friend go uh well you know i hooked up with this guy last night and we didn't use uh, or our protection failed but you don't worry i'm gonna get abortions i've got th- i've got three more punches on my card and then i get a free one you know it's yeah no one no one's yeah. talking about it like that it is a last resort for most people that use it and it's honestly what i think most people don't realize as well even the people that have had one it's been a really difficult decision it's not something that you you know, you're already got your back up against the wall most of the time when you get to a point where you have to decide whether you want to terminate a pregnancy. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's about 10 to 20% of all pregnancies end in a miscarriage. And I, and I think that there's this belief that a miscarriage just means, well, you have a heavy period and that's it. Miscarriages, yes, can, can happen in the first trimester very early on, or they can happen in the second or third trimester, which you do not pass that by yourself. The medical term for getting taking a out a a fetus that has is no longer viable in your womb is an abortion. Yeah. So when and when we'll go into this in our second episode. So when laws are passed that say there is no exception for miscarriage, there's no there's no exceptions for anything in abortion. That includes the women that have to put no finer point on it, rotting flesh inside of them, and cannot pass that themselves. So. At that point, you wait until you get sick before someone is like, well, I guess it's technically legally safe for her to have one now. Yeah. So 1960s come about. We have all these conversations around women's rights going on, um, including abortion access. What's also happening at the same time is we're having kind of this overhaul of our penal code in America. So we have a lot of patchwork um, laws establishing minimum sentences or maximums and they're they vary widely across states we're finding that some of them some of the laws around that are actually really really bad for society so you have this group of lawyers scholars and prosecutors they model this act to that's designed to stimulate um u.s state legislators to kind of just kind of overhaul laws in every state about how this works and they start to look at the abortion laws as well because they're not really working people are getting around them um people are dying which we'll talk about in a second um it's not working so so that that brings it to the surface too not only do you have this grassroots stuff going on but you also have um folks trying to relook at what we 
view as a crime and how we're punishing things and trying to kind of make that make sense um, in, in 1960s America. At the time legislators began reforming these laws, estimates showed that one-fifth of U.S. pregnancies terminated in illegal abortion. Hmm. That's insane. That's, that's a, a lot. lot of women. That's a lot of women. So, yeah, and I think that that's goes to the point of just because you you don't know anybody who, has, who hasn't told hasn't had an abortion, that's not true. But people say, well, I don't know anybody that's had one. I guarantee you at least two or three of the women in your life have had one. And there are different ways of having one. There's one because you had a miscarriage and the contents have not passed through you. There, there's, there are ones because, frankly, I mean, yes, you got pregnant and you just, you just can't have another child. You just can't do it. So there's, there are multiple reasons why, why things like this happen. And women just don't talk about it and i and i think that that's that needs to change and especially in this state i think there needs to be more of a discussion and if for not to be a taboo subject yeah there's yeah. a there's an organization out there called we testify and it is women sharing their abortion stories and it will blow your mind reading some of them because these are these are people from across the like, all kinds of different folks that have have been in situations you can't even imagine and but when you read them you're like it's so just one more reason yeah, we have got reason. to have this kind mm-hmm. of health care. Well, well, and, you know, and, and, it, and we can't leave it all to, like, celebrities. Like, yes, there's a bunch of celebrities that will go on and say, well, I have one then and I have, and I have one. It needs this. to be your next door neighbor. Yeah it, needs, yeah, it needs to be everyday women. I mean, social media is a great tool for this kind of thing. I, you know, and, like, you know, we can't, like, um, even last night I was watching something and Debbie Reynolds, there's this clip from De- Debbie Reynolds, Carrie Fisher's mom, Princess Leia from Star Wars. And Debbie Reynolds was a famous actress in, like, the 50s and 60s. Her best friend was Elizabeth Taylor. Um, well, then Elizabeth Taylor slept with her husband and then they got together and then she left Debbie Reynolds' husband for Richard Burton that she filmed Cleopatra with. Anyway, oh my. pop culture moment for everybody right there. But, um, she talks about on a talk show, like a big talk show about how she had, a, she got pregnant a third time after her, the two children that she does have and in the seventh month, she lost the baby. And she said that the doctor, cause this was the sixties. So the doctor would not, um, cause she couldn't pass that naturally would not perform the abortion on this already dead fetus because they didn't want to be arrested. So they had to wait until she got toxic and was going to die before someone, someone would help her. That is the reality of what's For going legal to happen. reasons. Because every doctor now has to make a legal decision, mm-hmm. assess their risk, mm-hmm. and what they are willing to potentially go down for. Because in Oklahoma, the reality right now is you can lose your medical license, be fined $100,000, and go to jail for 10 years. That's right. So any woman in Oklahoma right now, our age, younger, older, if you have a are in, you are pregnant, this baby is wanted, but something happens and you lose this baby and you cannot, and, it, and it's not going to uh, pass out of you naturally, the doctor has to, discuss, has to consult a legal team before they can help you. And if the legal team says, you could lose your license they will not touch you and that's something else so in the 1960s kind of on that in that vein in the 1960s you have a lot more individual practitioners you have doctors who do not have so you said a legal team Mm -hmm. doctors nowadays a lot of them work out of hospitals or in practices where they're with a bunch of other doctors uh they they kind of team up nowadays yeah you, you work with other folks, especially OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. They usually work like in a hospital, like under under some kind of network. Mm-hmm. So because you have to negotiate with um, your insurance mm-hmm. providers, you have to make sure you take people's insurance. There's, there's a lot of administrative stuff that there wasn't so much it's of. It's a business. It is a business. Mm-hmm. 
So now doctors have much less leeway than they did in the 1960s to just decide to break a law. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a legal team now that's like, oh, we're reviewing every single one of the things that you have done or the things that you have planned on your calendar for next week. Oh, you can't do that because of this law. Doctors can't just kind of do things under the table now because they're good people and want to take on a legal risk. Mm-hmm. That, that's much harder to do nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll lose their whole lives just to help save a woman who wanted a child. And unfortunately, this pregnancy did not work out for her. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just one situation. There's many, there's many different types of this, this being a necessary medical procedure. And, but in the 60s, you have, you have folks that are able to find these doctors that are, that are making these calculated risks. A lot of them were um, activist doctors that came out of the, the black civil rights movement mm-hmm. as well, like associated with the Black Panthers. Like some of those doctors were doing abortions as well because they understood or at least mm-hmm. were open already operating Accepted on the, the edges yes. of of what was what was going to be legal and mm-hmm. already they had right. the FBI investigating them for ridiculous speaking out yeah, a- against yeah. things <laughs> that could be like well whole, shit I'll do an abortion episode, whatever I'm already probably going to jail in the next five years um, yeah so a lot of the doctors that operated especially in Chicago and the Janes mm-hmm. like there were several that were there were African-American doctors that were also helping women procure abortions black but, women saving us again so so you have um you have that going on. Women, women are either uh, finding finding these ne- networks like the Janes, or they are procuring abortions from illegal. Well, they're all illegal. They are. Yeah, they are procuring illegal. unsafe abortions. Mm-hmm. They are. They are finding these back alley. Like some of the gangs were having like mm-hmm. abortion. It was a moneymaker. Options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You you know you can pay this much and. And that's how women were dying. I mean, uh, people tell stories of like being in New York City. And waiting for the subway, and women would just pass out on the um, the platform because they just had an, they had had an, a back alley abortion by someone who was in no way trained and is frankly looking for money, yeah, and, and with no with no sterile tool, tools, and they've uh, become septic and have nowhere to go. Because what happens if you go into the doctor and say, "I had a back alley abortion, and now I'm well, now I'm sick." In Chicago, they had a uh, septic what did they call it it was it was a ward in the hospital specifically for people who had had back alley abortions they were getting enough people coming into that hospital on the daily to have an entire floor dedicated to women Mm -hmm. that had had problematic illegal abortions and they were serving these women because these women would come in yeah because what had to happen when you go get uh one of these procedures you have to be able to walk out afterward they don't they, you can't stay there because that increases the risk exponentially like the longer you stay somewhere after you've had an operation that was illegal oh. the more likely someone finds you so you're coming in they can't use anesthetic they can't use anything like that you have to get up after the procedure and walk out and that's why people are passing out on the subway and stuff. Oh. so you know, this is the reality of what was happening in yeah. America in the mid twentieth century. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't some free for all where everybody was you know free love and sex and I'll take care of this in the morning. Like that's not what that's not what was happening. But we start to see rumblings in the early nineteen sixties, and by the end, we have the first states in the U.S. start to pass laws um, that are decriminalizing abortion. And I would like to go ahead and we can um, clap for um, Hawaii and New York. 
These are the first states to decriminalize abortion. You just had to have a licensed physician perform them at an accredited hospital. Well, I would like a licensed physician to perform it. Yeah, I would, I would like a licensed. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Accredited I'm hospital, cool take yeah. or leave. Licensed yeah, physician, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's late 1960s. Okay. So we all know, famously, 1973, something really big happens. Um, we have a woman in Texas who was denied an abortion and takes it to the Supreme Court. Just before that, something pretty crazy happens. We can't have a conversation about abortion law changing without talking about Jerry Santoro. Mm. A photo comes out in Miss Magazine. Mm-hmm. And this is published, I believe, in oh, April 1973. Okay. April 1973, um, a magazine, Miss Magazine, publishes a photo um, that is pretty. Don't look it up unless. You have. Oh, yep, I'm looking at it right now. Do not look at this photo unless you are prepared to see a very graphic image. It's terrible. And and the backstory is even worse. So um, the picture is, I, I'm not, I don't even think, I don't think we should describe it. It's, it's Yeah, to respect, uh, and Caitlin's going to go into the story of this woman, but to respect her, we I will be very general. I will just say that it is a picture of a woman who, attempted to perform an abortion on her own in a hotel room and the photo gives clear evidence of what happened to her after that attempt had happened yeah but i'm gonna go get another beer before i tell this story (laughs) beer break Jerry Santoro. In the early 60s, she is in an abusive relationship and works up the courage to leave with her daughters. Right on. Moves across the country back to her parents, where where kind of her social network is located, and um, finds a job, settles down. At her new job, she meets someone, and they begin to have a relationship. She's still married to her abusive husband, and um, after this has been going on for a while, he decides to come to where she is to visit his daughters. And she has no way of stopping this. No. Yeah. I mean, especially not at the time. We could get into this in another episode, but the laws around domestic abuse are abysmal. There's no protections, very few at least, and um, she is terrified. She is visibly pregnant. And she is very afraid that he is going to come, he is going to see her, and he's going to hurt her, her children, whatever. It's a volatile man. Yeah, you don't, you don't know. So she decides, I have to end this pregnancy for the safety of myself and my children. Um, someone that she and her new beau work with provides i think like a like some kind of instructions for them and some of the tools that are needed they rent a hotel room together and attempt to um terminate the pregnancy themselves and um she begins to bleed really profusely and the dickhead leaves this is the boyfriend not the husband this is the the boyfriend. boyfriend leaves her to die alone on the floor of that hotel room. Which is more or less, audience, what this picture shows. Yeah, it is 
gut-wrenching, it is heartbreaking, it is disgusting that this is the situation that she was in. She felt she had no other option. Yeah. Like, this is it. Like, this is what happens when this, when this is uh, criminalized. And can you imagine, I mean, just put yourself in a space where this is what you feel like you have to do mm-hmm. to protect yourself and your children. Like, this is not something anyone yeah would choose to do if they did not feel like they had to they had no other choice and i mean and it it's just everything failed her the laws failed her to protect her from this abusive husband of hers the laws failed her in letting her i mean well we don't we don't know if this is a wanted pregnancy or not this could have been she could have been happy with this but then this man comes back she's not divorced from him she probably couldn't get divorced from him and let's face it it's the 70s if they got divorced guess who probably got the children Especially if he had any kind of connection and with... He, and was... Yes. And was... And he could prove... She was visible proof that she was having an... Technically having an affair on her marriage. Yeah. So therefore, everything would go to him, including the children. Yes. So she had no choice. And, you know, I feel like this is a more or less explicit podcast. So fuck the man that left her in that hotel room to die. This woman who had children and had built a life escaping this abusive man, and then he decides he's he's coming for her, yeah. and she has no option. And and, you, and this is the result. Yeah, like, I mean, and and this was just in microcosm what was happening to women for different reasons across the U.S. And, and they published this right before the decision for Roe v. Roe. Roe. So it's kind of the climactic moment right before um, this happens. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I think you, we would be remiss to talk about this without also mentioning the impact it had on her daughters. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Santoro's daughters had been led to believe their mother died in a car crash. So they are noticing, like they, they recognize, mm-hmm. one of them recognizes their mother. And are, they are so angry at... Um, the magazine and, and all the people promote it, like using her story to promote safe abortion. Mm-hmm. So was this when they, the, when did this, when did she do, when, when did she die? It wasn't in the seventies. It was earlier. And they just had the picture and retroactively published it. Yes. Okay. So she, when did this happen? I'm, I'm, it looks like it's probably the forties or fifties. So her husband, her, it, it was 1963. Oh, 60. Okay. I'm really off. I'm so it was, decades, it was, guys. it was 10 years Okay, so it was ten years later. So, so it was even so. So, when this happened, that was right in the deepest part of. There's, there's no possible safe way to do this. No, yeah, unless okay. you happen to know who to call in Chicago, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. James. <laughs> no, and yeah, I'm sure that there are other networks, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, you would have to be part of the women's civil rights movement mm-hmm. or know some people already operating on the fringes or you know activists yes. to know what to do. Like, yeah. So I mean, and she's fleeing a. A, an abusive man yes you know i can tell you the last thing on your mind is trying to get involved in for politics. some folks in politics well, yeah. yeah you're trying to stay safe you're trying and to get feed your, kids your children safe. yeah feed your children and like start your life over and hide yeah. from an abuse yeah so um her daughter initially is like very upset and i think we can all understand that of course but later on she does become pretty active in the pro abortion pro like the the safe abortion mm-hmm. movement because she realizes her mom didn't have to die. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and frankly, her mom never would have even had to have an abortion if there were laws protecting her from her abusive husband. Which, whoo, that's a good point. Yeah. My God. And that is something that blows my mind about folks that are like vehemently pro-life. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are also not pro-expanding Medicaid. Mm-hmm. They're not pro-abortion. um, 
you know, raising the minimum wage. Yeah. They're not pro doing all of these things that would prevent people from having to fucking have an abortion. They're not pro sex ed. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and again, I think, you know, Caitlin, Caitlin and I can get really fired off about this. And I'm sure many people, I mean, this is a hot button issue. But, and that's always surprised me too, is people that, look, if you are pro, pro-life pro or whatever, anti-abortion, however you identify yourself, that's fine. But you don't, you get to choose that for yourself, not other people. But I always find it interesting when I talk to these pe- people who are, I'm like, well, oh, so then you, that means that you, do you vote for representatives and uh, government officials who support expanding Medicaid, welfare programs, um, CAP, the CAP program for like, um, for children that are in low income areas and all of these things? Or do you vote for people that want to close down all of these social safety net programs? So, and so if your belief is that people have abortions because they just don't want more kids and it's not medical for you and all this other stuff, then why aren't, and you want to outlaw it so they have to have these children, then why aren't you voting uh, for people that want to expand the social safety net so that it allow these women to not want to have, not, not have to have abortions if it's just for economic reasons. And well, and, and like, and this conversation is absolutely like a like a can be very philosophical and there's so many different viewpoints to it but i mean and like we're focusing on laws and but it's just uh i don't even know it's just it's such a it's a nuanced it it can be a nuanced issue but can be an absolute issue at the same time i don't know and i understand that and that's why i think it's so important to kind of really look at it as a full spectrum here are all of the things impacting that that you may not realize yeah here are all of the reasons someone might actually need this and it might not be that they have an ectopic pregnancy it might be that their ex-husband is coming to hunt them down it might be Mm -hmm. that they literally if they have this baby cannot afford to live yeah and it might be because they don't have paid parental leave they literally can't take the time off of the their job to have the baby yeah and that's and that's a whole other conversation the fact that this country is like what the only developed country that does not have paid maternal leave yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, the the definitely mm-hmm. by far and away the wealthiest country that doesn't have it yeah. protected. Um, and and two, like we believe. could we could pop the whole that whole open talk about no, paternal leave. Paternal leave, yeah. jeez. Which so, you know, and it's funny. Like even now, like I have friends who male friends that have had babies, and then who I've worked with, and then they'll be like on paternal leave, and everyone kind of makes fun of them for that. Like, it's not right. What are you doing? No, it's they're help. They're helping. They created a baby too. Yeah, you know. It shouldn't just be the mom. Like, yeah. honestly, if anything, if, if you really just want to only have one parent be allowed to do it, mom. we should be able to pick. Yeah. Well, because like, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, if, it were, if yeah. it were me and my partner, mm-hmm. we don't want me staying home with the baby. <laughs> Knowing you and your partner, <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we should be able to pick who mm-hmm. needs to do that because it shouldn't be me. But anyway, mm-hmm. yes. um, we digress. I think I think we've talked about the major things. Do you want to talk about Webster Reproductive Health System or anything like that? Roe Ro and Dobbs, overturn, the overturn? So so when we think about Roe v. Wade, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, it made access to abortion, you know, it, it, it enshrined it, mm-hmm. which in some ways it did. But when you really start looking at the decision and you start looking at some of its limitations, it's not totally what it and and the basis of the decision is also kind of interesting so their argument 
the you know because when 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 a decision is 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 made by the supreme court they have a majority opinion and the majority opinion kind of outlines the legal basis under which they made the decision that they made and that is what lawyer or not law well lawyers judges down the line are going to use to determine cases that pop up around the when people are challenging this ruling right so um what they kind of had in that the basis that they made this decision on is the right to privacy. Mm-hmm. And, and that is enshrined in the Constitution. And yes. that their, their kind of angle there is the same one they used for, to argue that um, interracial marriage should be okay, mm-hmm. that gay marriage should be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's this right to the privacy of, of very personal decisions that you make. Mm-hmm. And that in this ruling, they, they argue that that should extend to the decisions that you make as a woman at the doctor's office about what to do with a pregnancy. And I believe in the decision. All right. Rose landmark holding declared that the fundamental constitutional right to privacy includes the right to have an abortion and that any state legislation limiting that right must be justified by a compelling state interest. While not prohibiting all criminal sanctions for abortion, Roe removed abortion for all practical purposes from the realm of criminal criminal conduct. Mm. However, this is important, the decision left the door open for the states to promulgate regulations concerning abortion, ushering in a new era that we're going to talk about next time, where they restricted access to abortion by strictly regulating it rather than by branding it criminal. So now it can't be criminal to have an abortion, but it can be criminal to have an abortion under this circumstance, or you have to have all of these things in place before you can have an abortion. Which is where all of those laws that uh, more conservative states like this one have been able to wheedle it down. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next time. But basically they're arguing your right to privacy includes your right to make a medical decision regarding abortion with your doctor. Gotcha. Okay, and that uh, ends our discussion on the history of abortion in the U.S. from colonial uh, America to 1973 with the passing of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Next episode, Caitlin and I are going to discuss the history of abortion more focused in on Oklahoma and where the laws have moved presently with the passing of Dobbs uh, this last summer in 2022. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.